It's doing stuff that people can't believe that we've done. We went into Mogadishu with our bulletproof vests on and, and everything else, and, and we delivered in the center of Mogadishu, right next to the airport, a drinking water and wastewater system because it was needed. The level of satisfaction you get from doing that once it's done is incredible. And, and it's not until you look back and you look at the video footages and the pictures and you think, you know, wow, did I really do that? I think it's all about effect on the ground. It's got to be almost less reports, more action. And there's plenty of opportunity and, and stuff to do out there to fulfill that. Welcome to the Success and Ideas podcast. I'm Richard Myron. This is the podcast where I get to understand more about how you define and achieve success. Is it about good ideas, great leadership, luck, or a combination of all of those? Today, I'm joined by Wayne Priest, who's the CEO of Hydro Industries, a company that's based near Llanechli in South Wales. Now, Wayne's held a number of senior positions in some of the world's leading organizations like Sony, Airbus and Tireless, the aerospace and defense company. But Wayne walked away from the security of working for such large organizations in 2010 to set up his own company, Hydro, with partners. The company's developed technology to purify and treat water. It has technological, humanitarian and commercial objectives. It also encompasses a personal objective for Wayne of developing a world-leading technology company based in his native Wales. Wayne, welcome. Thank you, Richard. Pleasure to be here. This company, Hydro Industries, it sort of gathers in the personal, the professional, the sense of doing something for where you come from. Is, would that be a correct characterization, Wayne? I, I think so, yes. It's, um, it's a little bit of everything. And I think on the, on the personal level, just, just talking about what we can achieve with, with Hydro Industries, I don't know if, if many of you, your listeners know this, but there's only ever been one FTSE 100 company headquartered in Wales, and that's, that's Admiral Insurance. You know, they are very much locked into the, the service, service industry. We, we're, we're a technology company, so we'd like to be, the ultimate ambition is to get Hydro to a position where, where there's a, maybe a second FTSE 100 company in Wales, and it's a technology company. And, and particularly in the present climate, what a great story to get a company that's genetics are based in environmental cleanup and, and humanitarian delivery, and I mean by that delivering drinking water and, and clean water to some of the some of the most challenging environments coming from, from Wales and coming from the UK. So I think that's ultimately the goal, and that's a very personal goal for, for me, for our other directors, and, and for our shareholders. And that's something we, we're determined to achieve. So take me back to the founding of the company. You okay. were working at that time, just prior to it, you were working for whom? Yeah, at the, at the time I was working for Thales, the French defence company, but we were looking at potentially, the term then was water security. And this was just before the crash, around about 2007-ish, 2008. And with everything that was going on, the conflicts that, that were going on in Afghanistan and Iraq at the time, there were concerns over the contamination of, of drinking water. So they asked me as a, a sort of Mr. Fix-It to potentially look at what was out there that could purify water. And if you could imagine, it's you know, the range of what you're purifying is, is incredibly broad. And water technologies traditionally do one thing at a time. So 
the challenge was was quite tough. I eventually came across in Wales, believe it or not, a, a technology that that had been developed, and I, and I mean developed. It was a sort of more of a bench test, but it hadn't been converted into anything that was a product. So I'd scoured the world. It, it wasn't an area that certainly the big water companies had very specific technologies, but there was nothing mobile. There was nothing that could cover, as I said, that broad range of of contaminants. And I looked at this technology based on what's called electrochemistry, uh, which is quite a clean technology. You generally don't have to add chemicals to it. It uses electricity to sort of zap the water and, and remove the, the toxins and obviously give you clean drinking water. When we took it back into the, the UK MOD originally, it was far too immature as a product for anything for them to use and for them to develop. And the crash had just happened. They were all sort of circling the wagons around their their core business and developing a water technology certainly wasn't one of those at that time. And the tier one defense companies were exactly the same. They were in the same boat. They were trying to survive, uh, trying to to make their own ends meet and developing new technologies just wasn't on the radar. So myself and my two business partners decided to do it themselves. I'm an engineer myself. And we took the bold step of building or developing, first of all, a business that was going to develop a suite of products uh, at the time we thought related to drinking water in order to to sell to, to the likes of the tier one defense companies and, and others. And that's how it started. So we set that up uh, in 2010. And that's how hydro industry started. That's quite a move to make, because as I understand it, for all your career up to that point, you had been employed and mm. you decide at this age where in your, what was it, late 40s, early 50s, right? Uh, early 40s at that point. I'm sorry, early 40s. All right, early 40s. Um, but you've got something to lose at that stage. I mean, it's not like you're starting out. It's a fairly risky time to be doing something like that. Did you question yourself and think, what on earth am I doing here? Because, I mean, you're putting a lot on the line at that stage. You've got security on the one hand. You've got big name. You know, you could go out and get employment with a large a large organisation but you decide to step out on your own. What was that feeling like? Yeah, I, I think it's one of those one of those things where I didn't overthink it. I think if I had over overthought it, you know, possibly I'd have come to a different conclusion. But but then again, I probably wouldn't. I think my it's down to personality as well. Everybody's different, and I think throughout my career, I've, I've been a risk taker, particularly at the time when I took on the role of of operations director for Marconi when Marconi collapsed and I was asked to go in and deal with with one of, I think it was Britain's biggest industrial collapse. I went in to try to put that right and to to make the best of an incredibly bad situation. I, I think I've always had a sort of, I used that phrase earlier, Mr. Fix-It role, it's sort of mission impossible stuff. But I've enjoyed it. And I think that's part of my personality where I'll take on a challenge and relish it and, and have a go. And, and sometimes things come off and sometimes they don't. But I think personality is a lot to do with it. And I think, you know, when we talk maybe a little bit later about what Hydro's achieved, you know, we've gone into some regions that most people would um, would not really want, want to go to. It certainly won't, won't be on most people's bucket lists of places to visit. But I think that's part of my makeup, where it comes from. I don't know. It, no doubt, it's my upbringing and and my my family somewhere on the on the pathway. I've picked up this this sort of risk taking streak. But I, I think it's you know it's classic sort of entrepreneurial personality, I guess. And it wasn't something I realised that I had until I went 
alone. I think Marconi was a big moment for me, but probably I was still in the thick of of doing the day-to-day stuff, uh, you know, working for a massive organization and, and dealing with you know, a great company collapse, really, and how to restructure that. But I think when you go it alone, you do realize how tough things are and the fact that it's down to you. In big organizations, you have departments doing stuff, you know, HR department and finance department and legal department. Suddenly the buck stops with you when, when you do this and, and, and it starts small. But it, you know, as it grows and grows, the same problem exists. It's just that you've got to, ultimately, you've got to deal with things yourself. And you've got to make sure that, you know, people are paid and and your cash flow is right. And, you know, you take care of your staff and, and you take care of your clients. I think it's a personality thing. I mean, you're describing things which obviously sound very hard. There's a lot of pressure involved in that. What do you get the most satisfaction from in leading Hydro? I think it's doing stuff that, um, in general, people can't believe that we've done. And I'll give an example. You know, we got drinking water systems into into Sudan. And we're not talking Khartoum. We're talking five hours cross-country south of that, where they needed it most, where, you know, nothing really was happening. The, even the agencies had pulled out of there. And on our own, we we decided we wanted to help. And um, we spoke to the Sudanese government and the Sudanese authorities. And we went down there and we delivered water systems, which was unbelievable looking back. And we did the same in Somalia and Mogadishu. We went into Mogadishu with our bulletproof vests on and, and everything else. And, and we delivered in the center of Mogadishu, right, right next to the airport, a drinking water and wastewater system because it was needed. And we've done the same in right across India and in southern re- regions of Egypt. You know, this, the, the level of satisfaction you get from doing that once it's done, I mean, at the time, it's incredibly tough. But the level of satisfaction, the level of organization, the level of care you have to take, you know, with your own staff, as well as making sure that the, you know, what you deliver works, making a bad problem even worse, is incredible. And, and it's not until you look back and you look at the video footages and the pictures and you think, you know, wow, did I really do that? And I remember... Just to, just to clarify, you were there. You were there in Mogadishu. Yes, yeah, we, yeah. And, and you know, I, I did eight trips into Sudan, ultimately with our, with our video switch on. And, and I'm more than happy to share you that, that video of where we had 20,000 people turned up to, for the first switch on for that water system. Um, it was incredible. It, it's inspiring beyond, beyond belief. And it makes you want to do more. And the same in, in Mogadishu and southern parts of Egypt, which was quite tough, where we got a, we take the Nile and we convert it into drinking water for an agricultural company that wants to basically develop the, the American Midwest in the deserts of, of Egypt. And that drinking water is to supply the agricultural workers for them to develop it because what they were doing was, was flying in bottles of, of water, plastic, millions of bottles of plastic water, because that's all they had. One great line we've got from that, the chemists, the South African chemists, they were our client. When they tested the water that we were producing from the Nile, and we were producing about 200,000 litres a day, and it's still there now running, and they tested it against the brand of drinking water they were flying in, a well-known brand, our water was cleaner. And we we (laughs) used that in a lot of our advertising, because up until that point, we didn't really know. But yeah, it was incredible. But obviously, the plastic problem, that got dealt with as a result of that drinking water system. And... um, and there's more to come. So 
the satisfaction, I think, of doing that in very difficult, you know, the world's most challenging environment for me is is off the charts. And we see it in our, in our operators. Our staff, our engineers get quite emotional, I think. They don't realize it until they get there, until they switch these things on, the impact it has on people's lives. So um, I think that's the most satisfying. What are your aspirations for the company? I mean, I know you've said that you want to make it a FTSE 100 company. I mean, first of all, when did you set out that goal? And realistically, how do you define success for the company? Okay, I, th- I think the goal was was realised probably about four or five years ago. I think you go through stages of a, of a company. The first stage was developing the products to see if you could do it. You know, at that point, you're pouring money into a business and you're not quite sure if, it, if it's going to work. Then suddenly you start to get some clients on board. Then suddenly you start to get some very big clients on board. And that's the point you realize, well, you know, if, if you get given a, a global vendor called by Ford Motor Company to treat water at their engine plant so they can safely discharge water back into their own system because they have got their own environmental targets, you suddenly realize, well, whoa, I'm onto something here. This, this could work. I'll give an example with Tata. We, Tata Steel... We didn't know this was this was an issue, but when they produce steel, there's there's a mill scale that's left, and this mill scale is full of iron, and we're talking millions of tons of this in India and and in South Wales, and environmentally they wanted to get the iron out, and they said if you wash it, could you wash it for us, recycle the water to make it economically viable, and give us the iron back. So we did in India and in Patalbet, and and we've recycled six hundred thousand tons of iron for them. And we sell them the iron back. Remember, that's just one avenue for that part. We, have, we haven't opened the, the mining area on platinum or gold or silver or anything yet. So this is all part of the evolutionary piece. And I think that answers the question of at what point you realize that potentially you could be a FTSE company. And, and it's at those moments you think it's got scale. Suddenly it's got scale. And then suddenly it switches from the technology to people and to grow the business. You start looking at people. And, and that's where we are now. And hence, we've opened up our office in London to to help attract some of the best people that we need. We can't get all the people that we want in South Wales. We, we certainly, there's certain skills we can get. What about a fear of failure? Does that ever occupy you? I mean, it doesn't sound like it does. It sounds like you're, you see the objective and you're running towards it. But, but at the back of your mind, do you worry, are we going to work? Are we going to be here in two years time, whatever? Yeah, I think my, myself as CEO and our, and our chairman, uh, who's David Pickering, he's a sort of well-known figure in the world of rugby. He captained Wales and he was chairman of the of the Welsh Rugby Union, I think, for 11 years. And, and he was also chairman of the, of the English World Cup. Both of us are incredibly competitive and we really don't want to fail at any cost. Apart from, you know, the wonderful shareholders we've got. We've got the FTSE 100 company I mentioned, Admiral Insurance. They were the founders of Admiral and they're just wonderful people to have on board because they've done their own journey. You know, they've been there, they've, they've done the startup and they've created a FTSE 100 company and they are right behind us now and they believe in us and, and we don't want to let anybody down, apart from ourselves and, and the team that we've got here, certainly our incredible shareholders and, and board of directors that we've got. So is there a fear? Absolutely. We use that fear to make sure that that's not going to happen. What about the toll that it takes on you? I mean, I know personally from from running my own business, having worked for large organizations before, it's the stress levels can be can be sort of stratospheric sometimes. Yes, no, no, incredibly tough. And you go through, as you know, Richard, you go through cycles of of good days or good periods and, and t- much, much tougher periods. 
I think it takes a bigger toll, if I'm honest, and that, that may be down to my own personality, but I think it takes a bigger toll in your family when you're away a lot, when you're going into regions, particularly with me leaving defence. It was a case of, right, I won't be returning to those <laughs> those regions again. And five minutes later, I'm back there. <laughs> um, not by, I certainly didn't plan it that way. It just happened that way. So I think really understanding families, you know, particularly with a young family, when, when you're away, you know, my wife has taken the strain of taking care of, of our two little children. Um, that's been tough. And I think we're going into a, into a new period now. I, I don't travel as much as I used to, which is great. You know, I've got a, a team. So that's, that's changed. But yeah, it's an incredibly stressful thing to do. It's not for everybody. But I think picking up the mantra of what we've done with Hydro, there's the added challenge of, of going into very difficult regions as well. You know, and, and apart from your own safety, it, you sometimes go into regions and it's what you see. It's the experience you're left with of people who, you know, who haven't got anything. You know, when we've switched on the first water systems in Sudan, they'd never seen clean water before. Um, this is five hours south of Khartoum cross country. The village there, if, you, if you'd seen what was being drunk, it's... It's mind-blowing, and it doesn't have to be that way. You know, you've got to be emotionally ready to deal with some of that stuff. As I said, not just your own personal safety but it's and the safety of, of your team, but it's it's seeing things that, that we're not used to seeing, let's say, in the, you know, in the Western world. I, and that must have been incredible to be there, to see the water turn, turning on and, and the reaction, presumably, of the people around you. It, it is, Richard. I'll send you the video. I'll, I'll get it over to you to have a look at it. And, and um, there's a couple of, of images there that just stand out for me. And it, it's euphoric, you know, for the, for the people of Sudan to see that. But, you know, we've recently done a deal with BRAC, which I think is the biggest charity in the world. I, I hadn't come across them until, until recently. But we've just started shipping systems into Bangladesh. Our team will be out there the end of January to install them. And and we're delighted to be working with such great NGOs as BRAC. And, and you know, we'll carry on that that good work. But um, I think, you know, when we get onto the, the politics of, of foreign aid spend, for instance, I think it's all about effect on the ground. You know, we've seen cases where we think money could be spent a little bit better. But I think whatever money gets distributed, it should be really focused on effect on the ground. It's got to be almost less reports, more action. And there's plenty of opportunity and, and stuff to do out there to fulfill that. Looking ahead, you said, I see, I hope, a future for this company to become a major player alongside the likes of Admiral Insurance in Wales. Is it that that gets you out of bed in the morning or is it, as it were, the image of, of thousands of people standing around watching clean water emerging from faucets and stuff like that? Yeah, I, I think it's the latter. And what we've done now is we've moved from the drinking water end into the pollution end. So I'll give, you, I'll give you a size and scale on this. We've just won the biggest export contract by an indigenous Welsh company to help an Egyptian oil company manage their wastewater that comes from a number of oil rigs into what's called a, a transfer station, an oil terminal. And we will be processing when that plant's built up to 50,000 tonnes of this a day. You know, you can imagine the, the volumes we're talking about here. It's, it's lakes, which, which we'll be treating. And, and this is parked in Hergada. It's on one of the crown jewels of, of, you know, coral reefs and diving in the world. I think it's in the top three. So the protection of that environment, which the Egyptian government rightly recognised as, as absolutely key, not just for, for doing the right thing of the tourist industry, but, but protecting one of the world's 
you know, finest diving and, and coral areas is really, really important. And, and, you know, we are the company that's been selected through a very detailed bid process to deliver it. Hence my, my team out in Egypt at the moment. And, and we've, we've built the first stage of that plant. Hopefully that plant will be finished by the summer next year. No doubt there may be a few delays with what's going on with, with COVID, but we are, we've worked right through it. So as far as we're concerned, we haven't stopped. It's been a great success story in the, in the way of how we've managed the COVID challenges and the fact we've still been able to deliver it. And because it's of environmental importance, we've had permission from the government to come into country because it is really important work. So that for us is going from, you know, producing drinking water modules to now managing the next stage of environmental cleanup on that Red Sea coast. As a result of that, the other oil companies now are in contact with us. We haven't built the plant yet, but they're already in contact with us because they've got similar challenges. So this is where the environment agencies are saying we're setting tougher goals uh, regarding the Red Sea. The Red Sea is, is, is like a giant lake. So you have to reduce pollution going into it less than the standards in order over time to improve the quality of that water. So they've set incredibly tough standards and we've passed a two-year bid test to deliver it. And there's more. So, you know, what gets us out of bed in the morning, delivering that is an example of what gets us out of bed because that's going to be a legacy that will be there for the next 10, 20, 30 years, keeping that environment as, as clean as possible. So, so I think that's the answer. So Wayne, you said your aspiration is to make hydro appear on the FTSE 100 what's the time frame for that whatever that pathway looks like I think that that FTSE potential is I'd like to think five six years we'll be knocking on the door and I think apart from you know a little bit of, of vanity no doubt attached to to doing that I think you know we, we're all guilty of, of a little bit of that I just think it's a great legacy piece for, for a company in Wales to, to meet that and to get to that stage, particularly a technology company, a particular company that, that does what we do in environment and, and you know, humanitarian sort of delivering water. I, I just think it's a great story. Wayne, thank you. That, that's great and amazing to hear what you are doing. And, and I can't wait to see that video of you out in the field. <laughs> okay. Uh, So that's Wayne Priest, and the word that strikes me in listening to him is meaning. His company, Hydro, possesses a great meaning for him. I think it's personal, stroke professional, in that he left secure jobs and large companies to go and set up this venture. So there's a professional goal there that he has. On top of that, there's something that he wants to create a great technology company in Wales, a Welsh technology company. This clearly matters to him as coming from Wales and having great pride in the place from where he comes. And finally, there's meaning in the product, Hydro. What it's doing has meaning on the ground to people around the world. So when he talked there, for the sake of argument, about what they did in Sudan and the reaction of people and, and seeing clean water the meaning to people there that you are bringing them water they can rely on that's something that's very important to him and that drives him in his work towards success for this still young company and of course we do wish him success in what he's doing if you've enjoyed this podcast then please do listen to others in this series and also subscribe on apple spotify or wherever you listen also, share and rate this program 
I'm Richard Myron. This has been an Earshot Strategies production and the producers on this episode are Rob Dean and Anouk Mie. All the best. Music